Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. Ontario is in the process of expanding private sector involvement in the province's healthcare system. Ontarians may not realize it, but the private sector has been involved in providing health care for more than a generation. Operating room doctors are their own private companies. Certain outpatient operations like hernias are performed by for-profit clinics. And soon, operations on cataracts and hips will be part of that private world in an effort to ease the strain on an already overburdened healthcare system. Meet Sean Francis. He's the CEO and chair of MedCan Health Management. He participated in the C.D. Howe Institute's latest Regent debate titled, Be It Resolved, Competition Will Save Canada's Broken Healthcare System. He joins us now. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michael. In the intelligence memo to Canadian healthcare observers drawn from your arguments at that debate, you begin by winding back the clock 25 years to a topic critical to the success of mid-pandemic healthcare, telehealth. Yeah, I used that uh, story in the the CDR debate to illustrate my skepticism of what happens when you have the government as a monopoly provider of of any service. Frankly, you know my my view of you know government can do some things well, uh, and there's a there's a role for them uh, certainly in. Police, policing, immigration, borders, infrastructure, um, but with respect to running things, uh, often their interests, e- even with good intentions, uh, do not manifest in putting the consumer first. Uh, so the telehealth story was uh, super interesting because Canada has a single payer, well, Ontario specifically, as a single payer system, meaning the government is the the payer for the majority of medical services. And you would think, uh, given that, that their incentives would be to get you the right quality of care at the right time for the least amount of, of dollars. And, and one of the issues we've always had in Ontario is that emergency rooms are overflowing uh, and people end up in the emergency room through lack of primary care, uh, often using the emergency room as their really as their primary care provider. And they end up in the emergency room when they don't need to be there. Uh, and it's the highest cost of care. This, this, is, this issue is not isolated to uh, Ontario Canadians. It's, it's actually, it's a, it's a healthcare issue in general, but other countries, including the U.S., have dealt with it on a uh, more efficient basis because they're organized a little differently. And I, I gave the anec- the the anecdote that uh, I had thought that with the right telehealth uh, solution, we could triage people away from the emergency room to a primary care provider or a less expensive threshold of care. And in fact, I had partnered more than 20 years ago with a U.S. provider who did just just that. And there was two technologies at the time. Uh, one, because it's the U.S., was a telehealth provider that actually sent you to the emergency room because in the U.S. system, hospitals are incented to see more patients. And so they would pay for a telehealth provider that would Send, send them patients and consumers would call an 800 number 
and be directed to a hospital in the event that they felt ill. There was another provider of telehealth services who was hired by insurance companies who directed people away from the emergency room uh, because insurance companies didn't want to be stuck with the cost. And of course, to direct them away from the emergency room, you had to do it in such a way that you weren't on the hook for uh, any mistakes, right? Because you should be in the emergency room if you have to be there. At any rate, uh, this company that hired by the insurance providers was extremely successful, did it with with 100% accuracy and directed the vast majority of people into a lower threshold of care. And so I assumed that would be the vendor that Ontario would prefer, um, simply because we are single payer, Ontario is the insurance company, and why would they want more people in the emergency room? And what I never anticipated in the bidding process is that, uh, well, the long and short is Ontario hired the, the provider that sent people to the emergency room, which is, it's almost hard, to, I mean, it's almost impossible to believe, but when you realize that no one is really in charge uh, or incented on a system-wide basis to make good decisions, it's not at all shocking because the person that had the budget for telehealth uh, had no responsibility for hospitals nor did they talk to each other. And so the, so somebody had decided, hey, we need a telehealth system. Maybe it can save us money. Maybe it'll make the consumer experience better. But in execution, they ended up getting the cheapest solution possible, which was the one that ended up being the most expensive possible because it ended up flooding emergency rooms. And to this day, this is the same technology that Ontario has been using. Uh, so that made me very cynical about how government makes uh, decisions. And, uh, you know, my business has been entirely focused around the consumer as a consequence of that. So it's been your argument that, that government monopolies create short-sighted decisions, but the counter argument that governments make short-sighted decisions based on the cheapest cost of service is that if anyone's making short-sighted decisions, it's a large organization that's reliant on quarterly profit reports to shareholders or on private practices that are looking to squeeze as much profit as they can out of a patient so that they can expand and therefore make even more money. Yeah, yeah I, I hear that often from uh, people that want to maintain the status quo, right? It's, it's really a, a, it's a crazy argument because it's from people that really uh, have no experience in business and as consumers, like I've, I've yet, not not a single consumer I know would, would tell me, you know what, uh, we would make, tra travel would be better in Canada if we nationalized the airline, right? Have you ever heard that? Did you, did you, is, there, is there a group saying we ought to buy Air Canada and eliminate WestJet? Have you heard that? Well, to that point, we did have nationalized airlines in the early days, and we were talked out of having that because it would be more efficient. And now one of the most difficult things to do is travel Air Canada well, compared that, that to the international be. airport. It, 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 the service may not be great, but do you think it would be, would be better if the government owned it and eliminated the competition? Well, then I suppose the counter argument to that would be instead of privatizing these organizations or increasing private health care, why don't we just fix the root cause of the problem if you feel that it's short-sighted government decisions? I'm using the Air Canada as an example, right? No one says... <laughs> Nobody likes Air Canada. No one likes Air Canada. No one says, you know what? If we only... You know, food's an issue, right? We have inflation. You know what we need to do? We need to get rid of all the grocery stores and the government is going to own them all, right? Like, does that... Like, like no one does that. 
So then how do you respond to those who are saying that when it comes to healthcare, healthcare is one of those you know basic necessities that we rely on governments to provide. How do we ensure that we have a competitive private alternative that doesn't put profits above patients? Uh, well, first of all, profits, uh, I mean, so, so two things I'd say. One is that we are the only country in the world that has this single payer system in the way that we do. Uh, so, and we have one of the worst performing systems. So that's, that, that is, you know, uh, evidence <laughs> number one uh, of how we ha- we need to think differently. But when you make a profit, I think what people don't uh, appreciate is that you have shareholders. So you have, you know, you, you cannot put your profits ahead of service because at some point uh, when you have competition, right? People are going to go to your competition. So if you're either killing patients or you have terrible service and there's legitimate competition, your business isn't going to last long. And the owners of your business are going to be really unhappy and they're going to fire the board and the CEO. And that's what happens all the time in business. And so this idea that profit is somehow bad, right? is something perpetuated by you know, frankly, people that don't believe in profit, they don't believe in business, they don't believe in capitalism. And that narrative has infiltrated the Canadian discourse on healthcare and other aspects of our society, frankly. Uh, But profit uh, can be good uh, in that it holds you accountable. Right now, if you, uh, because we have a monopolized health system, if you uh, have an issue at one of the major hospitals in Canada, uh, let's say they kill you, uh, they kill your family member. What are they, What's going to happen to that hospital? Right. Your suggestion is that there really isn't much by way of consequence. Nothing. The CEO will stay. The board will stay. They'll tell you to talk to their insurance company because there's no competition and, and frankly, no accountability. So, I, I, you know, it's, it's amazing that they always want to go after uh, a for, you know, to say, oh, for profits, you know, terrible. Right. But yet people die in our hospitals or waiting to get into our hospitals every single day and there's zero accountability and no one does anything and the hospitals are all still here, the executives are all still here, everyone's making their salaries. So there is no accountability in our hospitals and I'm not blaming the executives themselves, right? When you're the only operator in town uh, and there is no consequence for poor care, no care or, or bad care, Right, there is no incentive to actually uh, do better, and that's where our system is now. So you're calling for a, a competitive private alternative to our universal healthcare program. What would that look like in your mind? Well, you know, if you were to look at uh, models that do better than Canada, uh, you probably so so. Let's so step stepping back. It's also uh, not true that we don't have a uh, private. Uh, provision of care because all doctors are for-profit uh, small businesses. So I, I think many people don't, you know, don't appreciate that. So your doctors are for-profit, your pharmacies are all for-profit. Much of your sort of tertiary medicine is all for-profit. Uh, your manufacturers of the drugs and devices which allow you to live longer are all for-profit. The hospitals are private, not-for-profit. 
Uh, so, you know, this idea that, again, it's, it's almost like I don't even know what I'm talking about with people because the lexicon, like they seem to think our system is, uh, there is no profit. So, so first of all, all of your, all of your healthcare that, that we benefit from has happened in for-profit environments, whether that's the doctors, the drugs, the devices, the tertiary care. Uh, it's only your hospitals that are private, not-for-profit. What's public, like not private, but public and not-for-profit, is your payer. So it's the government system, insurance system. So, so many, most countries in the world do not operate like Canada has. So, so they would say, listen, our objective is that, is that people who cannot afford care uh, will have care so that no one is left behind. Um, but we don't think we need to own everything to do that. And and what they do is they have uh, for-profit delivery, and they and they and they have not-for-profit delivery. But it's it's typically private, not-for-profit, and and for-profit like Canada, but more of it because there's less regulatory limitations on who can do services. Uh, and then separately, they have private, uh, for-profit, or not-for-profit independent insurers uh, so that there's competition even among the payers. And then there's different ways of uh, ensuring that everyone has access to that by country. Like Switzerland, for example, you have to be uh, in an insurance plan, um, but they're private and there's multiple ones of them uh, and, everybody ha- and everybody has it. And there's private and, you know, pro- for-profit and not-for-profit Providers, so that's and that's very all you know. Uh, many countries in Europe have that same composition as, as they do in Asia, so it, it's quite it, it's it's a hundred percent achievable to have a better system where no one is left behind uh, by embracing uh, a, a different way of delivering both both the insurance and fr- and frankly some of the care provision. It's the competitive part of it that that I don't really fully either understand or appreciate because when one calls for a competitive private alternative, it's reasonable to assume that competition and market-driven incentives exist when customers have an array of options uh, from which to select from. But it feels more accurate when you're talking about buying a smartphone or, or a car. I can do that research. I can choose the best provider in a competitive environment. But I'm not a doctor. I'm not a specialist. I'm not an authority in choosing the most competitive healthcare solution for me. Well, I, I, I have a lot of exposure to consumers in medicine, and you know, I can tell you that many are extremely savvy shoppers. You know, the issue is when you have no choice. I mean, like you can't even. You need a hip replacement in Canada, right? There is no. Uh, no, but, what, but like I, I've never had a hip replacement. So uh, if I'm told I need a hip replacement, do I sit down on Google and start typing in top ten hip replacement clinics? Well, not like in Canada, have, you're is, not because you're lucky. You but is that a, the future? Is that what you're suggesting? That would be the future, right? And that's what should happen, so that you would because there's you know there's do I need you know somebody said I should have one. Do I need to have one, right? And you have you could and you're not going to get this in Canada, but you could have different opinions on whether or not yet you need to have one. That's that's A, okay? So in a more competitive system, you'll have people offering all possible alternatives or, or giving you, you know, more 
more length of time without without say the operation. So that's sort of one the first the first decision tree. Then the second is let's assume you do need to have it. Then you're deciding well how do I want to have it? Do I want to be in and out the same day on an outpatient basis? And that is very possible. Uh, and there's and there's different you know types of you know most most of hip hip replacement now is getting to outpatient uh, basis, but there are some providers that are better than others, uh, and there's some devices uh, that I mean because you're now live with with a new hip. So what do I want in terms of the the the, the metal inside me, um, and how do I how do I want to have it put in me, and how quickly do I want my recovery? And, and what does it cost? And if you were, and honestly, this is a good example. So because you can't get it in Canada within a year, uh, in most places, certainly in Ontario, then, and you're saying you're in excruciating pain, you're, you might have resort to having to look at what's it gonna cost me in the US, in the UK, in Asia, and, and you can get a quote, you know, and you're probably talking about 30,000 you know, it's, it's, you probably can get it. You know, for ten, ten not not less than ten, but we're probably, we're probably talking twenty to fifty thousand, depending on who's doing it and the kind of implants they're putting in you. Um, so there is a market uh, for it, but it, it's not. Uh, it's healthcare, so it's not like there's not one website you can go to, um, but it is possible because every country is somewhat regulated. Like you said, it's not like smartphones. It should be. That, that's probably, that could be where we're headed. Uh, and we ought to because then we would know, uh, you know, what the real price of a hip replacement is, what the real price of a device ought to be, what is the, uh, you know, the effectiveness of a, one surgeon over another, what, what's their Google review. I do, th- we, we can do this in a more uh, anecdotal way right now. Like, like case in point, like we could, I, we, I could find you a hip replacement in the U.S. and more anecdotally say, "Hey, you should go to Rush Presbyterian because you're renowned for that." But I can't totally tell you on an evidence basis that, that they're necessarily better than than an alternative provider because it's more word of mouth in medicine. But I can tell you how much they are, and I can tell you we can get it for you next Wednesday. Right, but doesn't that just sort of bring us back to to my initial point, which is I'm not qualified to make these decisions in the first place. Uh, like even people aren't qualified to make decisions about their smartphones. I'm a geek. The number of people who ask me whether or not they should buy X, Y, or Z is pretty significant because they don't have the technology expertise to know whether or not they're making the right call. Most of us wouldn't really know whether A, B, or C would work better from a medical perspective as well. How does competition solve that, though? Well, you become, you know, you you have to ask questions like anything. It, it is like a smartphone, right? If you get prostate, you cancer, have to educate. Yeah, if you get prostate cancer tomorrow, then you got to make a decision if you're going to do nothing. Uh, are you going to have your prostate out? Are you going to have radiation? Are you going to go vegan? Right. So you have to become informed. Uh, and people do. They do become quickly informed and they make all sorts of decisions. But part of it is influenced by either lack of alternatives. Uh, so I'm, I guess I'm going this route because this is the only one presented to me. Um, but, you know, you, people need to take accountability uh, for their healthcare and get themselves educated because these are major, major decisions. And, you know, medicine in particular in Canada can be, can be patronizing. And, and and when it's a monopoly system and you're lucky to see a doctor, 
you end up behaving like someone who wants to be patronized. Um, but that doesn't have to be the way it is. And I can tell you, I talk to a lot of consumers, uh, patients who are highly educated and demanding on what the alternatives are. Um, and I wish we could offer them more choice uh, in Canada. Ottawa is stepping up with uh, this new healthcare accord for the provinces negotiated on a, a province by province basis. It sounds like what you're suggesting as well has been that part of the the problem with Canada's healthcare system broadly and on a province by province basis is mismanagement uh, by government. Even the Canadian Medical Association agrees that past solutions had mixed results. And the reason is because of politics. Do you see a solution to our healthcare problems that don't involve bringing more private institutions involved? Uh, no, I mean, I mean it, it's just not going to, it's just, you know, our, um, I've been in this a long time, 30 years, maybe now, uh, every single year, the queues for healthcare, the, uh, increases De demand is up supply, supply does not match demand, uh, and our population is aging. So it has never, it's not a single year has it got better. In fact, people would say it's the worst it's ever been. Uh, what I think people are most surprised at is it hasn't collapsed in totality. Uh, and, you know, it's like a frog boiling. You don't know you're being boiled. You know, at some point you're dead. Uh, so that's Canadian healthcare. I mean, it, it's, it's not just healthcare, right? I mean, people are now entitled to their entitlements, right? So we are spending an infinite amount of money uh, without any... Uh, realization that we, we probably have to afford things and no government wants to tell you, oh, we've got to increase taxes or we got to cut spending. Uh, and so we're way, our, and it's not Canada, it's a Western society. It's like we're way beyond affording anything now. And no one, it, it's a fantasy world. Everyone wants to live in the fantasy that there's a money tree and they're just going to keep making money uh, and someone's going to pay for it all and I'll get whatever I want as long as I want it. And it's just, it's not real. And so healthcare is one aspect of that, which is there's more and more technology you can live, you can increment, you know, a few more years of life, but you're going to live longer. Um, and the question is who pays for it? And, and, and there's this expectation that someone else is going to, even though we don't have the money. And so that's what's happening is we make promise year over year over year, demand outstrips supply, and demand queues uh, go longer, quality care goes down, uh, but look, in the scheme of things, life expectancy uh, continues to increase incrementally, you know, a lot because, you know, you're, uh, you know, we've, we've had sort of more great public health achievements. Uh, so, you know, society has to decide, you know, wh what it wants. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's a long way of answering your question, which is it, what you see from the government in these every three or five year negotiations is, is really window dressing. It's 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 moving the the deck chairs on the Titanic. And uh, you know you know what 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 song should we put on while the ship is sinking? And so that's you know not to be too cynical, but I've seen it for such a long time now. And uh, you know I really I, I I don't have a lot. I don't think you'll see a lot change no matter what stripe government uh, is in power because it's. It's, uh, you know, it's part, it's wrapped up into our Canadian identity. Um, but at some point, it will be so bad that, you know, we'll have to, to rethink things.
John, thank you so much for your time and perspective today. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thanks for uh, for having having me on. I appreciate it. Sean Francis is the CEO and chair of Medcan Health Management. For more on his intelligence memo, Only Competition Can Rescue Healthcare, visit cdhow.org. Still to come from the CD Howe, the Tax Reform Conference, June 14th and 15th at the Institute's Young Street headquarters in Toronto. On day one, personal taxation with Jack Mintz, senior fellow at the Institute and the President's Fellow at the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary, alongside Kevin Hassett, a distinguished visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution and former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. And on day two, business taxation. Mintz returns as chair as we hear from speakers including Wayne Adams of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Don Drummond of Queen's University, and Joe Oliver, former Minister of Finance for the Government of Canada. Go to cdhow.org to register. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.